welcome back to the Salty Lot Podcast, three ladies with more salt than Lot's wife, deconstructing and discussing problems in the conservative evangelical Christian America. Today, we are beginning a three-episode arc on Focus on the Family and discussing how this conservative evangelical mega corporation has shaped the expression of Christianity, culture, and families in America. We do cover distressing topics in the Salty Lot podcast. Please listen carefully. Take care of yourself. We are not safe for children. We are also learning. Please have grace with us when we say something poorly or make mistakes. We are open to correction on this journey and invite you along with us. I'm Liz, deconstructing from the independent fundamental uh, Baptist background in my childhood and later the Presbyterian Church in America in my teens and young adulthood. And now I am practicing at an evangelical free church. And I'm Yael, uh, deconstructing from the Assemblies of God and then the later uh, Messianic movement. And I'm now a converted Jew, back into Judaism. And I'm Melissa. Oh, sorry. I just interrupted you there. How <laughs> Christianly anti-Semitic of me. <laughs> I'm Melissa, deconstructing from Baptist to non-denominational churches, and I'm now a baby Episcopalian. Okay, so I wanted our last, our, our opening episodes, we were talking about a lot of really difficult, like sexual abuse and assault in the church. And I think anybody who can't agree with the basic premise that sexual assault is a terrible, horrible thing um, is not, frankly, somebody that I want to have anything to do with. Um, so we got, we, we just let it fly. I think for this this episode arc focus on the family has been huge in america and for many of us of my generation since i'm older than you too like was part of the family like we would i remember listening to james dobson on the radio with my dad driving home and um adventures and odyssey was always like a special treat it was so exciting may also be where i have a lot of flame humor um and my parents, of course, had the books and it was always presented like very kindly. And so we're going to be talking about some really dark aspects about focus on the family. And I just want to acknowledge to our audience that I understand hearing things that are harmful or put people that you care about in a different light, a different perspective is very painful. I'm going to attempt for us to be slightly more considerate in this particular episode arc. I'm sure there's gonna be times where we're gonna be very salty, but I want to make sure that people can listen because I think it's important. Also to the audience, I also want to tell you guys to be careful to not be tone police. Sometimes, Oftentimes, especially if you're a woman and especially if you're a person of color or a minority, we're all very white. Yale is Jewish, but 
<laughs> if you could see us, I realize that this is podcast, like you only hear us, but like y'all, some of us, and by some of us, I mean, especially me and especially Liz, are the same shade as like the shell white color your mother painted her walls recently to get to the minimalist shabby chic flow. I mean, it's just, we're white, white, white. Anyway, the point is, when people speak of things with anger in their voice or with angry tones or very passionately, they often immediately get discounted. This is a control tactic. It's something that's been ingrained in all of us. But actually, if you're supposed to be angry about some things. And when you're angry about some things, you should sound angry about some things. So I encourage you to do the hard work of being uncomfortable as we talk about these things. And I encourage you to do the hard work of not dismissing us because we sound angry. Some things you're supposed to be angry about. Okay. All of that out of the way. Carmel is absurdly cuddly and I, I need her to like give me some personal space. Carmel Jane, that means you. It's not gonna happen. Okay, so, you know, when we started talking about this as a potential subject, you were like, what is focus on the family? I don't know how you missed out. I've yeah, how did, you, how did you miss this boat? <laughs> okay, so I have a feeling this is going to be a pretty, um, not heavy like our other one. So I'm going to start out with a little bit of funny. So when I was in that one Christian group that we all met at, um, everybody kept talking about adventures in Odyssey and my dumbass, naive, ignorant little self was like, why do we like the Odyssey so much? That is the most boring book in the history of books. And I was so confused. And every time adventures in Odyssey would come up, I'm just like, why are you guys, this book is horrible. Like the Iliad and the Odyssey. They're just like, I've had to read them multiple times. They're boring. And I couldn't understand. And so I looked it up. And I realized it wasn't what I was thinking. And then I felt too embarrassed to say anything. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I love everything about that. And so then I kept like, everybody kept doing instead of like focus on the family, instead of like saying it out, like spelling it out that I was put F-O-T-F. And spelling focus on the family (laughs) takes a long time. Well, I was just like, I don't know what this is. And for some reason, like, I tried Googling it and I pulled up so many things. And I was just like, <laughs> I don't know which one it is. And then one day, I, I think Melissa mentioned something about focus on the family, but it's in a different chat. And everybody else in that chat were just like going off on it. And I felt weird to interject and be like, hey, dumb Jew over here, what's this? So I just <laughs> let them talk. <laughs> and it honestly wasn't until we formed the, our podcast chat that I felt comfortable with being like, hey, let's just focus on the family stuff. I'm confused. <laughs> so Liz, you're the one who still follows them for like your own reasons. <laughs> <laughs> mostly just that way I don't have to. So I still follow them on Facebook and it's mostly just so that way the trash can come to me instead of me having to go to the trash. <laughs> um, 
so yeah like every now and again which is like almost every day there's another article that's like click here to learn how to do the thing worse than you're already doing or here's how to take something that ain't broke and break it <laughs> like like it's just terrible and awful like the kinds of things that they write and then on top of that sometimes they'll I mean it's Facebook it's in real time we're in the year 2022 and they'll share something because of course it's just the title of an article you know like the title of a news article or the title of an onion article it doesn't really matter it's the title of an article and they'll have like a little intro on you know what the article's about usually they're super they're super lame and they'll just take the first paragraph from the article itself and post that as the description of the article okay. and then you'll read through this entire pile of hot trash get to the bottom and realize that it's from 2001 or from 2002 or 2006 and you'll realize that you have siblings that are older you mean younger article well 2001 is pushing it up for my siblings but yeah they could be young. like yeah i could have siblings who are younger than these articles that they're sharing these articles are like 21 years old these articles could legally drink but this is focused on the family so they absolutely cannot <laughs> no they cannot drink but they legally they could though they legally they could and it's like, why are you sharing something from 2006? It's like, and then you're reading it and you're like, I don't really know if this, you know, like you're reading it and you can just kind of tell that, you know, they're like, oh, well, the culture is doing this thing and it's so horrible. And it's like, actually, the culture hasn't been doing that in 20 years. And you get to the bottom and you're like, oh, that's because the culture hasn't been doing the thing in 20 years. <laughs> and remember to be worried yeah, about it. <laughs> it's just, it's terrible. And or because they they're known they're known for their marriage content and children raising like yes. that's the point those to focus those, on the family those are their those are their two niches is get you married and then get keep you, you married as quick keep, yes keep definitely keep you married get you married keep you married and then have you pushing out babies as quickly as possible and then telling you like how like how to do all of those steps like how to get married, how to stay married, how to have children, how to keep having children, and then like what to do with those children. And yes. so it's like this. And what to do you know, if your husband is abusing you, but actually it's not actually abuse and like marriage is permanent. So you have to figure out how you can stay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wish that I was and... joking. <laughs> I have a. Oh, I know. I personally have a friend who was in, a, it was in an abusive marriage, including physical abuse. A lot of Christians do not acknowledge mental abuse or emotional abuse, but they will acknowledge or physical sexual abuse. abuse or sexual abuse. And, you know, her husband only hit her, quote, sometimes. And I'm like, anyway, she called Focus on the Family and she was like, what do I do? can I divorce him? Like he harms me. He harms the children. And they were like, well, no, you can't divorce him. Like, do you have somewhere you could stay where it's safe, but like, you can't divorce him. And I'm like, excuse me. Yeah. Cause they're always like, well, you know, get, they do promote getting yourself to safety, but then when, once you're to the safety, then you're like, 
you're like, okay, now, you know, it's kind of like when your house is flooding, right? And they're like, well, you know, like the first step when your house is flooding, I know like there's the flooding in Kentucky that happened. There's been massive, well, my city flooded massively like a week and a half ago, really scary, historic, historic flood. And so like the first step when you're in that situation, you get on, you, you get to higher ground, you climb up a hill, you get on top of your roof, whatever it is, you get like, quote, to safety, right? So you climb up on your roof and then you're huddling on your roof and you're not really actually safe, but yeah, you're safe you're from the safe. floodwaters. And so focus on the family is like, okay, get yourself to safety. And so you're like, cool, I'm climbed on top of my roof. Um, could I please have a police helicopter come and rescue me? Could I please have the fire department come and bring a boat and take me to a shelter? And focus on the family is like, no, you're safe on top of the roof. The floodwater can't get you. You're good now. Now you need to like start shop backing yeah. out your basement and start cleaning up the floodwater. And it's like, I'm on my, I'm not safe. I'm not safe. I'm Even on my roof. I'm just not going like, to drown. Caused the flood. Yeah. 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 It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who left the bathtub on to flood the city. Like, like it's your personal matter. job. Climb, climb, climb on sure the roof, and now it's it. your job to shop back it. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the Torah that, you know, um, Christians also read, there are how many cases where God's like, hey, this happens, divorce. This happens, divorce. This happens, divorce and kill the man. This happens, divorce and kill these other people. This happens. And then it's just like they read that and they're like, well, this must be like in a spiritual analogy. Never divorce. This must be like some type of spiritual analogy or something. I'm like, it literally says divorce the man and run. And not only, and this is something I was reading or started in study. Not only can you divorce them, but your husband has to pay restitution for what he did to you. And I was like. I don't know. I think for me, just because, you know, sometimes when I read the Torah, I still read it from that evangelical mindset. And so now I was, did a study on that. I was like, oh, so if he abused you, not only can you divorce him, but he has to pay you for what he did to you. So he is having to essentially fix it so you can take that money and you can start a new life for you. And then I was just like, maybe what this the, is right. No, you're fine. And I'm just like, and you know, because I love law and everything. And I'm like, oh, I think this is where it the tradition comes from of um, if a couple divorces, the man has to leave so the wife can have the house with the kids. And I was like, see, we come full circle and we actually read it for what it says. I'm going to use an offensive term. It's those Judeo-Christian values. For the people who haven't <laughs> done the homework. Uh, Jewish people don't like that term. Don't say that. It's so it's so wrong on so many levels. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. I've always kind of wondered about it because I've heard it thrown around a lot, like in conservative evangelical churches and circles and stuff like that. And I'm like, and then you so they, they throw the term around and then they turn around and they're like, yeah, well, but Jews aren't really Christians. You know, they're, they're Jewish and they, they recognize that, that difference there. 
And so I'm like, well, how can you lump them together when it serves you? And then the moment it's no longer serving you, you're like, oh, but wait, but they're separate from us. They're different. They, they hold to, to this thing or they hold to that thing or they do this thing or they do that thing. And so I've always, I've always felt really confused about that. Well, it's, it's thrown around because it gives the concept of the values that are being promoted of weight and historicity, uh, even though they're not the same thing. Like they are not mm-hmm. the same thing. Even, I, I don't think at this point that you could even say something like Christian values, because if you say Christian values, you know, in our context, what that means, it means white conservative evangelical values, which are not ubiquitous Christian values. It's not that way across the world. I, you know, in that group that we were part of, there were two international members who were very politically conservative, very religiously conservative, and they could not let go of the fact that America didn't have universal health care. And every time somebody, they would bring it up, they'd be like, what is going on with you guys? Are you okay? You're not okay. All of the conservative Christians would be like, that's socialism. It's Marxism. It's communism. And like just drown out these Christians the, from other parts of the world and refuse to listen to their perspective. So like, mm-hmm. when we say Christian values, we mean a specific sect of a specific branch of Christianity in a specific global location. And that's what's so wrong about that term Judeo-Christian. And it's because we do not share the same values, like period. The Jewish values are completely different than the Christian ones. And all it is, is like, when I hear people in America say that term, it, I'm like, oh, you're, you're another anti-Semitic bigot because it is being, it is a dog whistle for anti-Semitism. And all it is, is uh, not only that, but like, when you look at the history between the Jews and the Christians, you know, with the Christians constantly trying to kill my people for thousands of years, it's just wrong on so many levels. But it's taking, it's essentially trying to be like, oh, no, 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 no. See, it's a Judeo-Christian value. So we're the same. And I'm like, okay, yeah, but like last week you were all over Twitter talking about how evil we were. And now you want to be buddies on this thing. Yeah. Would you mind giving us a quick, like two sentence summary of what Jewish values are so that people can see that they're not actually like objectionable? Oh, you put me on spot. Okay, so here's one thing. Oh, yeah. Justice. I could sum it up in one word. <laughs> Our values are justice driven. We don't care who you are. If you're wrong, you deserve justice. Doesn't matter if you're white, black, Hispanic, Muslim, Buddhist. If you have been wrong, you deserve justice and we want you to get justice. And yeah, I guess I could sum it up that way love others seek justice yeah yeah which is pretty kind of profoundly what christians are theoretically also called to do i'm not really sure how we missed the boat but like it was bringing in so as i was talking to this we're getting totally sidetracked (laughs) okay i'm gonna follow this for a brief two more seconds and then we're gonna get back to focus on the family because this is a good segue When I was speaking to that kid, one of the things I mentioned is that 
when Christians look at the Jewish scriptures, we've completely divorced them from Jewish context. And one of the things that Christians often do is refer to the, quote, angry God of the, quote, Old Testament. But in the context, because like God calls for punishments in the Old Testament, God exacts justice. But when you divorce Jesus from the context of Jewishness and the scriptures, New Testament, our scriptures and the Jewish scriptures from their Jewish context, you forget that this is a God of justice who is delineating out, I will have my people do and seek justice. And this is what justice looks like. Going after justice is not angry. It's right. Which is so, the opposite of what Focus on the Family does. There's your segue. <laughs> Actually, uh, my segue was going to be uh, last year, almost 18 months ago in March last year, I was, this is when I was deep in like the research mode of all my deconstruction. And I discovered that James Dobson had been mentored by a very prominent eugenicist. And I about died inside because I know about eugenics. Um, and even now, if you're part of the disabled community, which I am, you see the eugenicist lines of thinking everywhere. And I had been very troubled by a lot of the focus on the family rhetoric about being ready for marriage, being prepared for marriage. Are you able to do all of these things so that you can get married and be a quote, good wife? And I was talking with other conservative Christians who are also disabled and have chronic issues and the amount of despair and shame in those chats about how they think they could never be married because they couldn't do the thing couldn't have kids they were too sick to keep house they needed taken care of was heartbreaking um, and so when I learned that James Dobson had been mentored by Paul Popino, who actually started a group very functionally similar to focus on the family to promote white marriage and to promote healthy white marriage, I couldn't unsee it. Their quotes around healthy. And it was really hard because like James Dobson has always been like a grandfatherly figure to me. And I, as I was pulling up some articles to just reconfirm that I'm saying vaguely accurate things, I found one from this guy who was very, who was basically defending James Dobson and saying, 
So what that he had a eugenicist mentor, James Dobson, was, I've seen no evidence, no evidence whatsoever. And I was like, dude, you can't see the water you swim in. Focus on the family has turned marriage and family into a business venture. And the business is theoretically, quote, kingdom business. But it functions in a eugenicist and in a supremacist and in a capitalistic, how can I maximize my profits mentality? That's why all of these questions about like, well, are you really able to be married right now? Are you prepared? Can you do what's required of you? Marriage is not about doing marriage is about being this is why even if something even as my body deteriorates and i get older and i can do less things i'll still be married to jordan it's why there's all this focus on marital purity and no it's not a direct link but if you swim in the waters you take them with you and if you don't tear them down and start considering, wait, why do I think that? Who told me? Like God asked Adam and Eve, who told you you were naked? Who told you? Like, who told women that their role is to be a wife and a bearer of children? Who told men that they're supposed to be the leaders and protectors and that that means these certain things like it's just so i can't unsee it i think that's also probably one of the reasons that focus on the family very much focuses on hierarchy liz shared an article this morning that was against gentle parenting. Um, and firstly, like the article laughably misrepresented what gentle parenting is. I don't think the guy read, he referenced one article written by someone who doesn't like gentle parenting. I don't believe he talked to a single gentle parent. He posed a theoretical scenario um, of a child getting upset because mom has to go do the laundry and the kid throws a fit and starts hitting mom and then he says a gentle parent would then say oh I can't I, I need to pay attention to my child now and not do the laundry and like no that's not it and and in gentle parenting he's speaking of it as if no and oh and he kept asking throughout the article see who's in charge in this relationship who's in charge in this parenting it doesn't always have to be have a hierarchy my dude and also gentle parenting very clearly you talk to anybody who's doing it i'm in charge i'm the parent i'm in charge so it's my job to make sure everybody is safe has their needs met and is doing okay like that's my job so a gentle parent would respond to that situation. Yes, acknowledging the child's emotions. Oh, I see that you are having some big feelings and you weren't ready for me to go. I have to go do the laundry now so we can have clean clothes. 
you are not, I am not going to allow you to keep hitting me until I have to keep my, I have to keep my body safe until you're ready. You need to go into your quiet space until you're calm enough to be safe around other people. Like gentle parenting is full of boundaries and it's full of lines that you don't cross. And I think, oh, <laughs> see, here's the thing. The boundaries are rooted in love, not hierarchy. Yeah, because that was that was the most frustrating part was was first of all the overall like, but where's the power dynamic though? There's not a power dynamic. It doesn't work. And they also were super ticked off that boundaries weren't groundings. Like they had one idea about what consequences could be. And I'm like, well, you're super unimaginative. <laughs> 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 I mean, to be clear, my parents beat us. Uh and I, I use yes, and I'm more than just spankings. We we were beaten. Um, but there were also times where they would use like gentle parenting consequences. We lived in this old house built around the Civil War era, and it had one door in it, the laundry room, that had that was just like all full of those little square panes of glass all the way up right at elbow height uh if you were a small boy and were maybe i don't know running down the hallway because you were a small boy my brothers broke those things constantly but they were never punished for it instead dad taught them how to replace the glass Like Liz and I were talking about this a few weeks ago um, at our podcast recording, we were talking about gentle parenting and uh, we both mentioned different people that we know or know of whose children may have like, you know, written on the wall or something or drawn on the wall. And instead of beating the kid and then doing all the work, it was like, okay, well, since you were mad that nobody wanted to play with you and decided to paint on the wall your punishment is you're going to come over here and grab a rag and you're going to help me clean this wall up. We're going to spend, even if it takes all afternoon, you're going to learn what happens when you do this. And all gentle parenting is, is, is making the child become aware of the consequences of their actions. And it is teaching mm -hmm. them that in the real world, when you make a mistake, you are responsible for fixing it not mom not dad not your future boss you are yeah and additionally giving them the emotional regulation tools so that mm -hmm. when they are feeling frustrated and upset they can breathe and not do something stupid like all the people i follow on tiktok who do gentle parenting they're like and yeah it is kind of funny when you're three or four year old comes into the living room and tells you I'm frustrated she's like you know in a way it's like literally seeing a little adult coming up to you and being like I'm mad and here's why she's like but I'd much rather them wake me up in the middle of the night telling me they're frustrated than for them to tear their room up or tear the house up or you know do anything else come to me tell me what you're feeling let's talk it out, let's get you calmed down, and then let's go throughout our day, or let's see what we need to do to fix it. Yeah. yeah. Like, one of the things that I notice all the time is, like, 
people who are not utilizing gentle parenting, people who parented like my parents parent, expected things from the children that they did not do themselves. Like mm -hmm. they expected the children to be calm. They expect the children to not be, not experience disruptive emotions, you know, while they could fly off the handle and be violent towards each other. But we were not allowed ever to be violent towards each other. Or at least violent without consequences. Yeah, I mean, to be clear, I do think <laughs> not, I, I don't think that children should be allowed to be violent towards each other. And I am grateful that my parents reinforced that because like my husband, um, he was physically bullied by his older siblings to the point that he has physical PTSD. Um, it's like certain places on his body, if you touch him, it's just, it's immediately, no, don't do that. So, mm. but at the same time, like, so we can't lose our tempers, but you can like break doors off of hinges and break dishes and hit each other. What? I think that's another reason why the CEC doesn't like gentle parenting, because instead of having that, I'm the boss and everybody must do what I say, it is basically like what this one mom said. She said, you're letting your child know that you are just as human as they are. And mommy experiences frustration and anger and sadness, mm -hmm. but mommy doesn't do this. Here is a better way to express these emotions. It's humanizing the parents instead of putting them on this mm -hmm. pedestal. Or even just like, here's, watch how mommy is dealing with these frustrated feelings or mommy seriously messed up and now mommy needs to apologize. Mm -hmm. my parents well, have never too... oh sorry go ahead Finish oh, i was just thought. saying my parents have never apologized to any of us for the horrific things they put us through mm. i was gonna say that i i think another reason why evangelicals don't want the gentle parenting model or conscious parent i almost prefer conscious parenting term but that's just the it's just a um grammatical thing to me it's not like oh this is a totally unrelated concept but like the the Facebook pages that I follow and you know talking about it and thinking about it and stuff it requires you to be very conscious about yourself and it's constantly talking about like okay why are you feeling triggered about this you know mm -hmm. if, if this behavior is not directly like a safety issue like your kid is going to stab their eye out with a pair of scissors or something if they're doing something that's just annoying like why is it triggering you and then you have to do the personal work of like oh I'm feeling triggered because I wasn't allowed to do that as a kid or I'm feeling triggered because of this other thing and I really get the vibe that a lot of conservative evangelicals don't want to do the personal work even though they're like oh but I need to do all this stuff to be sanctified it's like, okay, well, can you do some personal work in this area? And they're like, oh, no, that's my kid's job. Could you do some therapy? So maybe I could have like a decent relationship with you. Like I would love to have. No, no, I cannot. One of the, yeah, it requires so much personal accountability. And I think, you know, if, if you're in a hierarchical mindset, like you don't get obeyed because you're a good person 
who has a loving connection with the people underneath you, you get obeyed because you have the power to hurt them. Um, but like, which is completely antithetical to the idea that there is no fear in love because fear has to do with punishment. Like their hierarchy has nothing to do with Christianity, in my opinion. I believe that absolutely. Jesus said that, you know, um, don't don't go after power like the like the rest of everybody does. You're supposed to surrender your power. You're supposed to serve one another like I'm serving you. Don't lord it over one another, you nerds. So of course, what do we do? You know what? It's all about power. It's all about fights. Sorry, I've been distracted by lyrics. Um, well, like, I look at the judges in ancient Israel. They were the leaders of Israel, or uh, they were leaders. They may not have been, like, the complete leader, like I think of Deborah. There was a king at that time. But she was still a big spiritual leader in the, in the entire community. And when things went wrong, instead of going to the king... And the king, instead of going to himself and be like, all right, me, what I think I should do, he went to her. She wasn't ruling over anybody. You know, she wasn't telling them, I'm the judge. And because I'm the judge, you need to listen to me. You need to do this. She was just sitting under her tree waiting, waiting for people to come because to her. Because of my position. For advice. Yeah. Because. Yeah. You, and same thing with all the other judges, even though they were in charge and many of them were leaders of Israel they never inserted themselves there they always waited for the people to come they waited for the people to go we made a mistake and we need help they weren't there going Once no no, no, no you didn't do this they were like <laughs> oh yeah i watched you make the mistake i'm waiting for you to come to me and i feel like that's exactly how god is too you know god's like i'm gonna let you do your thing and i'm gonna be here i'm gonna watch you make that mistake i'm gonna watch you realize the hard way yep. but i'm still not going to do casually remind you when you come to me and we'd be yeah. like see this is why we don't do that now let me yeah. help you fix it yeah and i think that's the thing is like there's just this complete misconcept that the only thing that would make somebody listen to somebody else is because of a power dynamic there's not even an understanding that you could have a connection with another person so deeply and so full of trust that you would willingly go along with it. Like when there was a huge snowstorm and Jordan and dad uh, came, Jordan drove down. This is before we were married. This, one, this is actually the moment that I knew we would get married. Um <laughs> So there's a huge snowstorm. It never snows out here in the Pacific Northwest like this. There's like three feet of snow. It was terrible. Jordan drove down from Salem to make sure I was okay because we didn't have cell service or Wi-Fi out of the house. Never, there was no power. And so dad and Jordan got out there. They got to our house and um, they were like, you, you need to come with us. It's not safe here. And my roommate did not want to do that. She wanted to do her own thing. Um, but I chose to go with Jordan and dad because 
I trusted them. Not because they were in power over me. Obviously, they weren't. My roommate stayed. I could have stayed. But I trusted them because they were the ones who just spent two and a half hours driving six miles. And they both have way more experience with snow than I do because dad grew up in like Umatilla and Jordan was a trucker across the entire United States. You know who can't measure snow safety because she lived in the Pacific Northwest her life and her whole life and never seen snow like this? Me! So like, you know, trust the people who love and care for you and risk their heckin' lives to get out there to have your best interest in mind. And then you can be like, oh, okay. I'll do what you said because I know you're not gonna tell me to do something stupid. But when there's only power and hierarchy, it doesn't matter. Like, it, it really bothered me how they kept pressing obedience in that article. Like, it's not about obedience. You mm -hmm. do not want to create a bunch of adults who only know how to obey. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really funny that the article, like the first, like the opening line in the article was, obedience is the gold standard in parenting. And I'm just like, Says who? What? Oh my God, citation needed. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm like, okay, because like again, going back to the gentle parenting model and the Facebook pages that I post that, that I follow, because I'm a perfect parent because I have no kids, so all of this <laughs> stuff is like I'm watching, I'm watching other parents do this stuff. But I have no kids, about... and I am not a perfect parent. <laughs> <laughs> I have four cats. I practice gentle parenting on my cats all the time. I'm just a consistent failure. It's fine. Carry on. <laughs> and um. See, I love I love our different perspectives. We both don't have kids, and I'm like, I'm a perfect parent. You're like, I I am not perfect. I own up to all of my failures. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but anyways, they there was this one gentle parent who who um, a lot of their posts revolve around comments that they get on their Facebook page, and so people kept commenting like, my kid won't listen, my kid won't listen, my kid won't listen, and they were like, okay, hold up. Let's unpack this for a minute. Do you mean listen or do you mean obey? Because you cannot interchange the terms listen and obey. And so if you're actually meaning my kid won't obey, my kid won't obey, my kid won't obey, that's fine. But you need to be using that word because listening is a completely different skill with a completely different outcome. And you can't interchange those, those two concepts. And so you need to evaluate, is it your kid won't listen? You know, like they're, they're genuinely not respecting you. They're not respecting the relationship. And then you need to evaluate, well, are you respecting the relationship kind of thing? Because again, it always turns it back on the parent. It always puts the responsibility on the parent. And then you need to evaluate, okay, actually I do mean obey. And then it's like, okay, well now we need to evaluate what that looks like and you know, what's, you know, what can we do? And a lot of it has to do with, I love all of the things that are like, collaborate with your kid to problem solve together. Yeah. And like, even in my marriage, everything goes so much better when we're faced with a problem and we problem solve together. And we're like, well, would this solution work? And then it's like, okay, well, this part would work for me, but this part wouldn't work for me because... 
And it's like, okay, well, can we take this element that will work and then couple it with this other element that will work and problem solve, you know, the thing together as opposed to either me or my husband coming down and just be like, nope, this is the problem. This is the solution. Just make it work. My way, no highway option. And it doesn't work. It always blows up in our face and it's terrible. And we have yet to learn this lesson fully. So that's the other thing too. Like it's constantly a, a thing in progress too. Like, yeah. cause you do, of, you revert back to what you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so like speaking like this was before gentle parenting became a thing, but like my nephew or before I had heard it became a thing. My nephew, my nephew goose, um, he was about three years old. We went to the library. We had been playing hide and seek, like to be clear. We walked there and we, or something, we established that we were playing hide and seek and like run and chase, right? And he's three. Uh, the library is not the safest place. And he disappeared because he was still playing, right? He didn't, he didn't know that we were no longer in a safe space. And it took me a while to find him. And I was freaking out. And um, I found him and I was like, okay, okay. And my entire family's default is just spank. Anything spank. Like, and, but I was like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to like have a better relationship with this kid. I don't, so I talked to him at three years old. I was like, Goose, that was really not safe. Um, what do you think we need to do to help you remember to never do that again? And we discussed a few options and he was like, well, uh, I understand. Let's go to the library and I don't get to take home books today. And I was like, cool. And you know what? I never had a problem with him doing that again, ever. And it marked a massive change in our relationship dynamic. Like we are like this. I hardly ever see him. And the level of trust he has in me, huge. I actually asked him about this memory recently. He's like, oh yeah, I remember that. I'm just like, <laughs> what, do you remember this? You remember this child? <laughs> and that's and another thing. Like, it's just does. like, I... oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. They're just like, in all these examples, what does it come down to? It boils down to trust. And I even look at it because, um, you know, I've had many different bosses. I've had good bosses. I've had bad bosses. And even though there is that power hierarchy, because they are the ones that make sure you get paid, they are the ones that, there is that, but when you trust your boss and your boss trusts you, you will move mountains to help your boss out. Like if you have a good trusting relationship and res mutual respect and they come up to you and they're like, Melissa, I have a big thing I have a big meeting but also have this big project and I can't do both and Melissa's just like well since we have such a great relationship I'll handle that project until you can come over and take over or I'll do this because I know that at the end of the day if I need help you would do the same thing I had a boss um, cover a shift for me um, he's kind of like the assistant boss I have helped, we had a good trusting relationship and everything else. We got along. There's a lot of mutual respect and I had a thing come up and I knew I wouldn't be able to make it to the thing because I had to do a work evening shift. And he was like, I know I have been here since six o'clock this morning. And I know you probably wouldn't, if you stay, you won't be able to leave till 10. 
I am willing to stay until 10 or later if I have to, so you can go and take care of that thing you need to do. And there was no strings attached, nothing. There wasn't a, I'll do this if you do this for me. It was a, you've helped out me before. This is how real world relationships work. Go do the thing. I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah. He's like, go to the thing. I'll see you tomorrow. And I'm like, and that's that type of relationship. The mutual caring and the trust and respect. That is why the CEC hates gentle parenting because they don't want that. They want to be this overlord and they want these little obedient minions. But what they don't realize is that is destroying your children's relationship in the real world. Because when they get in the real world, most bosses don't want yes people. They want to know, hey, in our meeting, we need to, we have this issue. How are we going to solve it? And they want collaboration. They want people to put in their input. They don't want people to sit there and go, I don't know. We do whatever you want. That doesn't help. <laughs> Some bosses do. And that's terrible. Like people. Yeah, there are those. <laughs> yes. But like a yeah, good and actual like leader. It actually primes your kid to. I was just going to say like it, like having the o- obedient little robotic minion it primes them to only be able to function in abusive toxic workplaces where the boss is a toxic overlord who's ruining everyone's lives and they don't have the skills for confrontation to go to the toxic horrible boss like maybe you know it started out good or they got a different manager or whatever's going on they they don't have the skills and practice to go to them and confront them and be like, hey, what you're doing is wrong or how you're treating us is wrong or what you're expecting of us isn't achievable with the amount of workforce that you have or like they just, they don't have any of those skills. So they only can function in toxic workplaces and they because can't change. Training to direct to immediate obedience is training to not think. Mm-hmm. Conservative Christians are prone to conspiracy theories wild outrageous ridiculous stuff (laughs) because they are trained from birth that the way you tell what is true is the person in power Mm -hmm. and they have given been given no skills to discern or to question like you do everything questioning is is squashed and that's it for this episode thanks so much for listening to the salty lot podcast We'll be back next time with more dramatic reenactment of your latest focus on the family drama. Except not actually latest, because they just keep reusing articles from 20 years ago. It doesn't get better, folks. We will see you next time. Thanks so much.